Welcome to How to Save Your Marriage with Nicola Beer, a show full of tips and practical strategies to repair, rebuild, and strengthen your relationship. If you are currently stuck wondering if your marriage can be saved, or you know you want to save it but don't know how to go about changing it, this show is for you. And now here is your host, Nicola Beer, who specializes in a proven 10-step program to help couples increase the love, passion, and happiness in their marriage in 30 days or less, guaranteed. Hi and welcome, this is Nicola Beer and I'm so excited you're here because we have a really special guest with us today and a special topic, we are talking about God and sex and normally we don't hear God and sex in the same sentence. So my guest for today, and it's a real honour, is Reverend Steph. She's a recovering non-denominational reverend who likes to walk a little on the wild side of God. The title of her autobiography, recently released on Amazon, says it all. The Misadventures of a Irreverent Reverend, a spirited guide for rebels and renegades. Born in London, England, Stephanie visited her mother in South Africa in 1986, where she had a vision for creating a multiracial ministry to heal the wounds of the apartheid. She completed her ministerial studies under Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith of The Secret, fame at AGA Los Angeles, and founded the metaphysical ministry Soul Home in Johannesburg in the year 2000. Reverend Steph has written two books, Down, Dirty and Divine, A Spiritual Ride Through London's Underground, and her autobiography, which I mentioned, is recently released. She is currently writing her third book entitled Tears of Goddess. Isis and the Amber Road, to elevate the true meaning of the name Isis and expand awareness of the other half of heaven, the feminine, divine, sexuality, fertility and flesh. God and Sex was the provocative title of Reverend Steph's recent talk at the New Thought Conference in Johannesburg in 2017. In addition to speaking and writing and demythologizing sex, and sin, Reverend Steph also facilitates non-denominational sacred ceremonies, memorials, weddings and baby blessings. She helps her clients to create their own ceremonies which are personal and unique and spiritual rather than traditional. Delighted to have you here on this really interesting topic. Thank you for being here. Thank you too Nicola, I'm delighted to be here as well. Excellent. So it's very unusual to hear God and sex in the same sentence. And it's even more unusual to find a minister talking about sex. Can you tell us something about your background and what led you to focus on this taboo area? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was raised in, um, in a classic alcoholic family in the UK. And I was very aware of the conflict between my parents and also had to experience domestic violence as well. My father was a violent alcoholic. So there's a chapter about my early life in the book, uh, The Misadventures of an Irreverent Reverend that I wrote. And as a teenager, I was completely fascinated by sex. I was very naturally curious as all children are. And my parents had quite a puritanical attitude. Um, they always sent me up to bed if anything sexual came on the TV. But then a friend in the playground told me about the facts of life. And, um, but I didn't tell my mum. Somehow I knew that it was going to be embarrassing for her. And I didn't tell her that I knew. And then she took on the embarrassing job of explaining it all to me. I just pretended that I didn't know anything and I acted all surprised. I didn't tell her that I knew everything already. 
So even though I was raised in this family with the very puritanical attitudes, for some reason that I don't understand, all that nonsense just bypassed me. And um, I became very, um, let's say, sexually free. And that also sounds like promiscuity. I don't mean that. I just mean that I didn't seem to have the the contracted ideas about sex that most of my culture had and um, I really enjoy being a rebel. I enjoy talking about the taboos of God and sex and death. I enjoy pushing boundaries for greater freedom in areas where I've been stuck and where I think most of us are stuck too and I'm comfortable speaking about that stuff in a in a public way and I really enjoy sharing my my journey and my experiences um, it's unusual to hear a minister talking about sex, and uh, I must let you know that I'm not a traditional minister. I didn't ever grow up in a religious environment, although I know that I inherited religious ideas from the culture that I grew up in. Um, so I'm a metaphysical minister or a new thought minister, and maybe some of your listeners will have heard the name Louise Hay. She's also a religious science minister, just like me. She She's dead now, but she was one of my colleagues in the religious science church. So the, the thinking behind the new thought philosophy is that our beliefs create our experience. Um, and so now, uh, with my interest in sex and my interest in new thought and changing our experience by changing our belief structures and our belief systems, so the two have come together for me, literally and figuratively. That was not meant to be a pun. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend Stephanie, for sharing that with us. And first of all, let me say how sorry I am to, to hear that you went through that abusive, toxic, alcoholic environment. Um, I can't imagine how painful that, that must have been. I know growing up I had emotional abuse and, and occasionally some physical abuse from my mother who was constantly breaking down and unable to control her temper and her mood with her um, illness, uh, her depression and her anxiety and her aggression that, that used to come up, all sort of related to that. So I, I really, you know, my heart goes out to you uh, for, for going through that. And it's amazing that you kept that freedom and you were that rebel and you had that liberation. I think that's, that's really brilliant. And uh, it's great, you can see it in your personality now, that shining through, that strength, the courage that you have. Um, and yeah, I can really relate to what you're saying about the, the taboo area, uh, growing up in the UK myself, and culturally how sex and God, you know, are taboo. Uh, I mean, I have studied sexuality, and how to help couples with sexual problems and sexual issues. I wanted to learn this and I needed to learn this because I'm constantly helping couples to save their marriage and if I don't know enough about how to improve sex then I'm not going to be a very good support for couples. So I put myself on some courses and really learned about this area and one of the questions on the course that I went to was how does your mother view sex? How does your mother view a woman who's sexual, and how does your dad view sex? And I thought that was a really strange question. I thought, how on earth do I know that? But when I answered my, asked myself that question, the answers came straight away. And I said, you know, my, my father and my mother, they 
made sex seem like it was something that was disgusting. If a couple were kissing on TV and it didn't matter whether they had their clothes fully on, it would be, oh, we don't want to see that, thank you. And, uh, oh, that's a bit too much, close your eyes. I remember sitting on the sofa quite a few times and my mum would be like, cover your face, cover, you know, put the cushion in front of your face. And we wouldn't be able to watch anything sexual, anything that was in some way promiscuous. And I remember as a young age, my mum also saying, you know, any girl that was in short skirts and knee-high boots and things like that um, were unladylike, that it wasn't proper. And that was a strong influence um, from our, our upbringing in the, in, a, in the UK. So I can really relate to that. And uh, it's amazing that you, even though your, your, your parents are like that, you had that, that freedom. Because I know for me personally, and I'm sure that many people listening, there probably, there could be some of this tabooness in their own relationships now. And this is, you know, what you're an expert in and it's helping us free away from these. So God and sex are traditionally seen as diametrically opposed concepts. I know you've got a different take on this. How do you see them? Well, for me, they're not diametrically opposed, but they have definitely been presented to us that way. And I'm referring to the Bible um, and the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's, It's all, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a man-made concept that they're diametrically opposed it's completely man-made to serve a political uh, motivation but they're not the they're not opposite they are one and the same thing so divine energy is sexual energy um but i think it's uh, when i say political motivation um if you if a, if a ruling body a ruling party can control people's minds around sex imagine how much social control that would that would leverage so I think this idea of God and, and sex, the war between the spirit and the flesh, God being light, sex being dark, God being pure, sex being dirty, God being right, sex being wrong, God good, sex evil, heaven and all of that, heaven and hell. It's all uh, the, the realm of duality and it's served to keep us very stuck. So it's the age old battle of good over evil. And it's, it's, that's the man-made concept, and that's where we've come to. Um, but it's not that that way for me. It's one. So if I'm a divine being, and my divine being includes my sexuality, because I've been made sexual, I've been made to procreate, I've been made to have pleasure in sex, how can sex be opposed to my divinity? It's part of my divinity. And if I don't really make peace with my sexuality and accept my sexuality, then I can't have a connection with God either because there's a part of myself that I'm denying and claiming to be wrong or bad or evil or dirty. So that's that's how I see things. Yeah. I hope that was clear. Yeah, that is really clear. As you say, it, that's definitely how that has come across, definitely where, when I was growing up as well. And so what are the consequences of this imagined position? Well, um, the consequences are a lot of people feel guilt about sex. A lot of people feel shame about sex. So guilt and shame, um, just to distinguish, guilt is I've made a mistake and shame is I am the mistake. Um, a lot of fear about sexuality, a lot of pain, loss um, in Saudi Arabia, which is, I know you know you live in that part of the world. Mm. 
uh, death is not uncommon in terms of honor killings. You know, if a man feels that his woman has, or his daughter or wife has um, threatened his family with her sexual licentiousness because she's looked at another man, you know, then that's the right to uh, destroy her or rape her, to punish her. And just, you know, d disgusting stuff that happens, barbaric stuff that happens based on this um, opposition of God and sex. And then we've got a domestic violence, sexual violence, abuse, rape, incest, molestation, and often in the Catholic Church as well, which is so distressing. People go to the church for you know, safety and a connection with God, and they get abused there. And uh, we've got un unwanted pregnancies, um, abortions, which can be backstreet abortions or illegal abortions. Women who find themselves pregnant without being married feel sometimes forced to give their baby up for adoption. We've got sexual diseases, AIDS, virus, all of that stuff is all a result, for me, of this um, making sex evil, dirty, and wrong, that which started off in our biblical mythology. Yeah, and that, you know, those are obviously awful, harrowing consequences. So why have we believed that sex is sinful? Well, um, in the story of Adam and Eve, the, so that's where we hear the, we read the creation myths. Okay. where Eve was taken out of Adam's side, made out of his uh, rib, all of that. So it's mythology. It's mythology. It's not history. A lot of people would say it is history. A lot of people have the idea that the word of God is the law, the rule, the absolute truth. And the word of God was written by, the word of God in the Bible was written by a small group of men who came from a patriarchal culture and who propagated their patriarchal culture in the way that they wrote the Bible. So is that the word of God? Okay, you can say it is, but the word I'm speaking now is the word of God. I'm a divine being. The word you're speaking, Nicola, is the word of God. You're a divine being. The word of God is not limited to the biblical texts, as far as I'm concerned. So um, in the uh, 4th century BC, uh, sorry, AD, 4th century AD, there was a theologian called Augustine. He grew up in uh, North Africa. Um, he believed that sex was sinful. Now, this man, Augustine, had a very healthy, loving relationship with a concubine for 14 years. He had a son with this concubine. Before he met her and settled down with her as his monogamous sexual partner, he had a lot of sexual experiences in Carthage, where he went to university. Um, and what he felt was that he could control every organ of his body except his penis. <laughs> and he thought that th this lack of control of his penis was the devil's work. So he, he believed that this, this automatic, um, this arousal of his penis, sometimes uh, he often says, you know, you, the penis gets aroused when you don't want it to be aroused. And when you do want it to be aroused, it won't be aroused. In other words, he had no human control of his erection and he assumed that that must be the devil's work so he and he believed that adam and eve um, by being weak-willed by disobeying god when god told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil that they sowed the seeds of evil in the human race and eve particularly because she was the one that gave into the temptation from the wicked serpent that she was actually the cause of man's downfall. And that's how it's actually been um, perpetrated throughout our culture, that Eve is the wicked, sinful one. No one ever says, you know, when Adam Adam actually blamed Eve when God confronted him, like, why did you eat of the fruit? And, he's, and Adam says, well, Eve 
tasted the fruit and gave it to me. In other words, Eve was responsible also for Adam's uh, transgression. Um, but in a patriarchal culture, of course, <laughs> the man is not going to blame himself for, for being um, weak or weak-willed or giving into temptation, so he can blame the woman and get away with it. Um, so original sin um, was the, ter the term coined by, uh, later to be called Saint Augustine, believe it or not, um, term coined by Augustine to describe this uh, human failing, this human desire that we have for sex. And original sin being the sexual uh, transgression of Adam and Eve, even though, uh, if you read Genesis, there is no mention of sex in, in, in any of that creation myth, in either of those creation myths. Well, there's no mention of sex, but Augustine made it up that the sin that they committed was sex. And as a result of that, um, as a result of Eve's failing, we now have... Um, that sexual um, sin in ourselves, because every child that's born is born of a sexual connection between a male and a female. So with, with that sexual um, sin in us, what do we do? How do we, how do we get past this? So Augustine's answer was, as soon as a child is born, you must baptize that child. Otherwise, because it's born in original sin, it's going to go to hell if it if it dies before it's baptized. And then the problem becomes, well, what if the child lives? Okay, so the child got baptized, didn't die, didn't go to hell. But at 13, 14, the child's going to have hormonal changes in his, his or her body. is going to start noticing that there's some sexual desire present. How do we get rid of this? sexual desire? How do we get rid of this sinful nature? Well, Augustine's answer was that we pray to Jesus Christ for redemption. And he believed that he, he prayed long enough to Jesus that Jesus would eventually help him to control his sexual erection and he would be free. That was his, that was his belief and that was his uh, conviction. And somehow he managed to spread that idea and make it so that it was actually established in church doctrine. So in the Catholic Church, original sin, and in the Greek, in the, sorry, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, original sin is still something that people believe in and uh, believe that we are, as human beings, naturally sinful and have to pray to Jesus, God, for salvation. Mm. And, and yet, and yet, in the Bible, in uh, Genesis God said to Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply. In other words, God was giving his, so-called his divine approval for people to have sex and to have children. And yet Augustine twisted that around entirely because of his own, um, his own issues with his own sexuality. And somehow his, Augustine's idea has prevailed. It's very curious to me, but that's where we're, that's where we're at at the moment. That's why I feel it's so important to have this conversation and to expose the mythology for what it is. Yeah, thank you. That yeah. was really helpful and a really good understanding of where it comes from and the, the sin and the original sin. So thank you for sharing that. Do you think that sex is mainly a problem for people who have been raised in a, a strict religious environment? Or would you say the problem is more widespread, given what you've just shared? Well... <laughs> When I see what's happening in our world today, and I see how women are being abused, raped, all, all of the crimes that are committed against women, 
um, to me, that stems directly from the Bible. So it doesn't matter if a person is religious or not. Um, if they have been raised in a culture where the Bible has been considered to be the holy book, um, then highly likely that they're going to have these uh, warped ideas about sex and sexuality. Hmm. I mean, one of the frequent problems that I've noticed in the, the work that I do with couples when looking at intimacy is that the, the wife often doesn't feel that she can instigate sex, that it's somehow mm -hmm. unladylike, um, that she, mm -hmm. she wants more sex, or that a man doesn't like a woman instigating. And this, mm -hmm. this, this often comes up time and time again. And I think it's, mm -hmm. like you say, it's a cultural thing where, um, you know, if we were raised in, in certain countries, that it's, it's unladylike for, for women to, to do that. So can you shed some light on this, or what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'd like to just approach it from two different directions. So the first direction is continuing from the recent part of our conversation where I was talking about Augustine and sin. So mm. Eve was then considered to be the wicked the wicked sinner, the cause of man's so-called fall from grace. And then we have the Virgin Mary, the so-called Virgin Mary. I don't believe Mary was a virgin, but she was declared to be a perpetual virgin, meaning that whether she had sex before she uh, conceived Jesus, whether she had sex after she conceived Jesus, regardless of any sex she had, she was still a perpetual virgin. Because, think about it, if Mary was in any way tainted and Jesus Christ came to earth in order to save us from sin. How could Jesus Christ be our saviour if, if he was in some way tainted by the sin of his mother? So uh, this is the whole, this is the plot to keep women virginal. Um, as if as if virginity is a way is a way that women can absolve the sins of Eve. And so if a woman has a, a a happy, free sense of her sexual self and is happy to feel the desire in her body and show the desire to her man. Uh, culturally, that's considered wrong and bad. She shouldn't be sexually licentious. Or she shouldn't be sexually healthy even um, because she should be virginal in her approach to sex. She should be a pure woman because of the sins of Eve. So now you can see how uh, for a woman to instigate sex, she's completely uh, contradicting all of the cultural beliefs and uh, rules that she that she's inherited. And for a man, it's similar. The man is uh, set up in Genesis to be the dominant partner. The man's set up to be, it's not set up to be the predator, but the man is set up to be the one who rules in the relationship. So if the man sees that the woman is uh, taking over the role that he believes he should be playing, the instigator, then he's threatened. His masculinity is threatened. So you can see how the cultural notions have really, really are still dominating in the bedroom, in our most private, most intimate exchanges. So that's just a bit about the history. And now if we look at it from the other perspective that I wanted to share, which is the new thought perspective, and we would look at the belief systems. So one belief could be for the woman, <clears throat> it's unladylike to instigate sex, or it's unladylike to want more sex. And she might also have a belief, it's not safe to ask for what I want. I will be rejected. So those beliefs 
or any other. It could be a range of other beliefs as well that prevent her from um, making a move towards what she wants. Those beliefs will prevent her from doing what she wants and having what she wants. The man might have a belief based on what I just said of uh, real men always initiate. And he might have a belief about women that women who initiate are ball busters. So beliefs always act as if they're true until they are examined, released and replaced. So if a belief is acting on us unconsciously, it will continue to do exactly that and will continue to have painful experiences. So my work as a metaphysical minister is to help my clients replace old limiting beliefs with new beliefs that are closer to the truth. Um, so this is a process of growth and evolution and doesn't happen overnight, unfortunately. There's no quick fix. But what I've noticed in my own life is that as soon as I uncover a belief, as soon as I become conscious of an old belief that's been running me, already there's freedom. Because already I'm seeing that, oh, I see it's a belief, it's not the truth. And that's an important distinction to make. So for the female um, clients who come to you with their fear about instigating sex with their man, uh, some new beliefs might be um, showing my desire makes me more attractive to my man. Actually, that is true. From the men I've spoken to, if a woman shows desire, the man also gets turned on. Um, it's now safe for me to ask for what I want. Getting my needs met is easy and fun. And then for the man, he might say to himself, real men are comfortable with giving and receiving, instigating and surrendering. And the man might also say, women who instigate sex are horny for me, and that's a good thing. So you see how we can play with this and basically start to affirm the opposite of what it is we've been believing as a way of destroying those uh, neural connections in our brains that have us continue to operate in the same habitual ways that really don't give us the satisfaction and joy that we're looking for. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's really great work that you're doing there, you know, changing beliefs because our, our beliefs obviously guide a lot of what we feel, what we think, and what we are then motivated to do, how we behave. So mm -hmm. from what you're saying is if we can change the beliefs, then we can be free, um, mm -hmm. free, free from these beliefs, and then from that our relationships will grow stronger and we'll be more aligned to, to who we really are with, mm -hmm. without the fears and, and things limiting us. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you help couples or individuals break through their taboos and limiting beliefs to achieve greater freedom? Well, I, I normally start by um, by listening. Um, I think okay. listening is really important to, especially in these areas that are taboo, where people feel they don't have permission to share. So to be able to listen, in, uh, to be able to speak about stuff in a, in a safe space is already a big piece of the healing. And when I'm listening to people talk about their issues, I'm really discerning what their negative beliefs might be. And then I just suggest what I'm what I'm picking up. So and I may not be right on, but that doesn't matter. The thing is that we're we're doing detective work together to find out what's going on in the unconscious realm that's causing the problems in the current experience. So once I know what the beliefs are that they're operating with, I can help them transform those beliefs and shift those beliefs. And then a part of my work in, in my metaphysical 
ministry is then to pray for my clients. So when I pray for my clients at the end of our sessions, I'm always affirming the new beliefs that they want to adopt and embody. And once the new beliefs have been spoken and repeated and uh, established as a new thought form in the consciousness, then the new experience start to show up right away. I've often had that experience myself where I've changed a belief or realized what I've been thinking, turned it around, and then instantly there's a manifestation in my in my world. So it's really, it's really exciting stuff. It's so lovely to be able to have instant change. And as I said earlier, it's not always instant. Sometimes there's an instant realization and you get an instant manifestation. And sometimes you have to work on a, on a new belief and you have to repeat it to yourself many times. Sometimes people do mirror work. They look into the mirror, repeat the new affirmation to themselves. They sing it to themselves. They write it down many, many times. So changing consciousness is, is, uh, is work, and, um, but the results are fantastic and it's so worth it. Great. Sounds wonderful. And it's lovely that you do a lot of different methods to really make sure that people get the results that they're, they're looking for. What, what do you think mm-hmm. stops people from getting help with, with this area? Well, I'd say particularly in the area of um, sexuality, um, there's a lot of denial about the problem and people minimize the problem. And I think in, in all cases when people are not willing to get help but they're just afraid they're afraid of afraid of change i would say afraid of uh, discomfort or imagined discomfort that change might involve they're afraid of facing the unknown it's like if i'm in a painful space i know that pain and if i choose to shift and change i'll move into a space where i'm in the unknown the pain could be worse. It could be bigger. I mean, these are the imagined, you know, the fantasies of how how negative it will be if I try to change. Um, and that's that's the sad thing. And, and we do have to go through the pain. We do have to go through the discomfort of being in the unknown. But that's where the freedom is on the other side. Um, and the whole point for me of, of moving through difficult issues is to have a more expanded life. And a more expanded life is not the safe life that I know, even if the safe life I know is painful. So it's, um, it's, it's, it is how it is. I, would, I wanted to say it's sad or it's unfortunate, but it is how it is. In order to change, we have to go through, we have to go through some pain, some discomfort, but on the other side, there's freedom and growth and expansion. That's beautiful. And I think that's what we all want. We all want freedom. We all want that liberation. And we all want to have our relationships and our lives to be how they're meant to be, to, to live a life fully and passionately. Thank you so much for sharing with us everything that you've shared with us today. So I know that you have a special offer for our listeners. Can you tell us more about it and how this will assist them on their journey? Yes, thank you. Um, so... Uh, I began talking about uh, God and sex in my in my church earlier this year, and we recorded the talk. So the first video that I did was on the subject we discussed earlier, Nicola, the Adam and Eve story and the man-made concept of sin. So the video exposes some of our limiting beliefs about sex, and it will help us to enjoy sex more without the burden of guilt or shame. So if, if your listeners would like to access that, they can go to their special private link so my website is timelesstransitions.net and then forward slash 
3-GSV. Brilliant. Okay, well, I'll, I'll put the link. GSV, yeah. I'll put the link with this. Uh, that sounds really fascinating. I can't wait to watch it, actually, to find out more oh, about, about where it comes from. Because, like you said, once we can, are aware of, of where it's come from and that it's a, a limiting belief, then mm-hmm. we can free ourselves. If the listeners would like to contact you, how can they do that? Well, they're welcome to contact me through my website, timelesstransitions.net. And I have a YouTube channel as well where um, they could watch the recent talk I did on God and sex at the Birthing Our Divine Feminine Conference. So um, would you please perhaps uh, include my YouTube link there in the the documentation for this talk? Yeah, I'd absolutely be happy to. Well, that's all about the time we have for today. Um, thank mm-hmm. you so much for, for joining us. Is there any last piece of wisdom or anything you want to share before we wrap up? Uh, yes. Uh, so I think, as I said earlier, that uh, the connection that people seek with their divinity, with God, is not possible if we're not connected with our bodies and our sexuality. And to heal our sexuality, we must courageously step beyond the damaging religious concepts that we've been hardwired with. So it really helps to remember that these damaging concepts are merely habitual thoughts. They're habitual thoughts. They're not the truth. And you know they're not the truth because if they were the truth, you would feel love, you would feel peace, you would feel joy in connection with your body and with sexuality. So for me, the hope is that whatever thought has created thought can also undo. So there's really hope for change. No matter what people are going through in their sexual relationships or their experience of their sexuality, if there's pain or fear in that area, it's simply a question of habitual thought. And a new thought can undo that pain and that fear. So I'll leave, I'll leave your listeners with that. And thank you so much for this interview. Brilliant. Thank you. I love that. A new thought can, can really change things so thank you for empowering and inspiring us it's been wonderful to have you here thank you nicola i've loved talking to you and i wish we could have gone on way longer (laughs) thank you for listening to how to save your marriage with nicola beer to book your free save my marriage consultation please visit www.savemymarriageprogram.com forward slash consult and if you've enjoyed this episode nicola would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on whatever app you're listening through so the show stays visible allowing more people to get the support they need to increase their love passion and happiness 